0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Motherkind, the show that is going to give you confidence, clarity, and connection in this wild ride of modern motherhood. Marlon Anderson is this week's guest. She is a mental health advocate, a motivational speaker, and a body confidence activist. You might know her. She rose to fame following her appearance on Love Island in 2016, but she now uses her platform to promote healing, body positivity, and self-love. This episode cracks open the reality of abuse in a relationship, both physical and non-physical. We discuss the signs and how you can support someone who might be going through it. It is vital, vital listening because as Marlon says, education is the key. And sadly, we will probably all know someone who is going through this right now. So I hope this informs you. I hope it educates you and I hope it inspires you. Here it is. I'm so excited to be chatting to you this morning. I finished your book last night and, you know, when I put it down, it really made me think about that truism that the wisest, most compassionate people in this world have also been through the most. And I think that's definitely true for you. You have been through more traumas and pain than most of us would ever experience in a lifetime. And yet here you are sharing your wisdom How do you keep showing up and believing in life when you have been thrown so many traumas? Good question. I don't really
1: know, to be fair. I feel like life is always testing me in different areas. But I'm a huge believer that the universe will throw things at me to go through so I can grow through it and evolve and shed all of these layers that aren't my authentic self through the trauma and it sounds so bizarre but that's what keeps on happening like I've been going for a bit of a tough patch this past month or so and but then I understand why after and then it will throw something else at me it's, it's just almost like a wake-up call for me and I think the hardest times that I've gone through whether it be the grief or the domestic abuse when I came out of the other side I had almost shaken off a version of myself and revealed something more powerful, something more strong underneath. And that is what life is always about. I use the term ebb and flow. I just ebb and flow through it because life is constantly changing. And I just kind of go through it and I flow through it because when I start to fight against it or become the victim mentality that I have been in before, it doesn't do me any
0: favors. So I just kind of work with it as much as I can. Being able to have that perspective, which I guess is why is this happening for me, not poor me? How quickly do you get there? Because I'm guessing, you know, with some of the traumas and with your permission, I'd love to dive into some of them. But how quickly are you able to think, what are the lessons here? Because I know for me, when something hard happens, my first thought is always, why me?
1: Yeah, it is. And it is usually why me to begin with. And then I have this weird perspective on life that surely for the things that I've gone through, there has to be a reason behind it. And I laugh, I have to laugh at it because I think, oh, not again, or why is this happening? And then I will see the reason a few weeks to a few months after, or maybe a year, and it makes sense. But I just see it all as a bit of a jigsaw puzzle and unblocking and learning and growing. And I think I had to change my perspective on things completely when the universe was forcing things to me, like, signs and things that would be going wrong I'd be like okay this is happening because I need to take time out I need to put myself first in this situation I need to do more of this and that's all I can kind of say because I I think I see life very weirdly now (laughs) I see it as just kind of it's here for me to have fun in because I think I used to take things too seriously So when you do go through hardship, you then have a different angle around it and you just think, oh, you know, life is life and it will happen. It will happen every day, whether you like it or not. And you can choose to be happy in that moment or you can choose to wait for the happiness. And I think what I used to do was wait until I could be happy. But now I look for little glimmers. I look for glimmers of happiness in every situation. And that's the only way we can ever be happy instead of waiting for the future. (laughs) And that's what
0: I used to do all the time. And it makes sense, doesn't it, that you would put your happiness on hold you know particularly when you're in an abusive relationship and pregnant which I imagine is all consuming tell us about that I had a lot of self low self-worth growing up I think without my
1: dad in my life and just my mom I never really had a father figure in my life to kind of tell me how love should be how a guy should treat you and i think i really had low self-worth when it came to men so i accepted anything and i think i craved love so much that i would do anything for it and i'd accept anything for it and so i didn't recognize i was in an abusive relationship until you know i went on a freedom program and came out of it on the other side and looked back and it all came down to education for me and educating myself on all these different terms of narcissism and and what abuse actually was but I look back now and I, I saw a very lonely young girl that just wanted love and I, and I would just take it. And I think that's what a lot of us find ourselves in. We crave that love and that perfection and that relationship, but we're actually looking in all the wrong places. We're looking outside of ourselves. And, and it took me the moment to realize that the only love I'd ever get is from myself. And when I learned to understand that, I then could attract better things around me. I mean, I'm still single. I'm still working on that. But I know that I wouldn't settle now. The universe will still give me a test and throw an arsonist in my way, you know, whether it be on a dating app or a mutual friend or whatever. And I see the signs straight away and I'm like, no thanks. So I know I'm in a place of I can be alone and be okay with it. And don't get me wrong, a lot of evenings I, I'm sometimes really sad because I feel lonely and is asleep. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'd love that family unit. But I know now how it feels like to be in an abusive relationship and feel isolated completely. So,
0: yeah. What are some of those signs? Because I think you are so right. You know, when I finished reading your book, I started to think back about not a relationship I'm in currently, but other relationships and think, shit, you know, I missed some of those signs because as you say, we're not educated on it. And particularly as you know, you can be love bond at the start of a relationship, so it feels like how love's meant to feel, right? What are some of the signs that you, looking back, missed and those signs that you can spot quite quickly on a message from a dating app? I think it's the
1: persistence of the narcissist, the drip-feeding you everything that you want to hear at the beginning. They drip-feed you all this love and attention. They can slyly put in something that is not right, like oh, why are you wearing that? Or, you know, don't, you don't need to wear that makeup or anything that's controlling or out of touch with what someone normal would say. But then because I've said all these nice things to you, you don't look at it as a bad thing because you go, oh, it must be okay. You must care about me. So I think the confusion comes within all the gaslighting because that is probably the hardest part to undo when you leave the abusive relationship. It's all the emotional undoing of what they did to you. And for me, that was the toughest thing. I mean, the physical abuse, the scars, the bruises would go, but it was the constant torture in the mind, you know? I think that would be the biggest thing, the love bombing at the start. And then the control and the confusion, and there's different tactics that they've used. So I'm doing a video on this later, the narcissistic salad, and they call it salad with the wording narcissists use sometimes. They confuse you so much they will just talk jargon to you, as in... I'm not happy with you today because you left at 8pm and we we're meant to go out at 11pm. But anyway, yeah, because of what you did last week. And then so they'll just confuse you so much. You're just like, what's going on? And, it, and it's so apparent because when I, when I get loads of women messaging me, it's literally the same thing. You can put the traits on paper and like, they will come out the same. It's just
0: mental. Which is helpful, but only if we know those traits. Exactly. Tell us definition of gaslighting. So gaslighting
1: is making you doubt yourself and making you doubt yourself basically and feel like you're going insane. But you don't see it at the time because you've been programmed to think how they have taught you to think. It's so confusing. What an example be of gaslighting. Oh, why didn't you put the dog out? But I did put the dog out. No, you didn't because this happened. And you're like, oh, maybe I didn't then. Then there's loads of different other kind of other ways around it, but it's literally making you doubt yourself and you actually not believe yourself anymore. So you lose a sense of who you actually are. And it becomes a constant thing where you don't know what is real, what is right anymore. And you're like, you just become delusional. It's mental.
0: And that's why I get so, and I'm sure you do too, you know, often the narrative in our society is why didn't she just leave? And I think there's a complete misunderstanding about why someone just can't leave and how complex it is to actually escape a relationship like that. How did you actually get out? It took a lot
1: you know, back and forth and a lot of silent treatment from them and me warning them all because they gave me the silent treatment. And as soon as I took them back, it'd be the same game again. And I think it was when I went to hospital and my arm was broken and I was just looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, I can't do this anymore. So I had to go zero contact and that's what saved me. And then the police got involved. But they have a very clever way of worming their way back in. And if you don't have that no contact rule... It makes it severely hard to break away because it's an addiction. It's a codependency on this person. They make you feel like you need them. And it is like a drug addiction or a smoking addiction or a shopping. It is an actual addiction and you have to literally go cold turkey on this person because that's
0: how powerful it is. Yeah, I think that the average domestic abuse victim will go back five times before they're actually able to break free. And that makes complete sense, doesn't it, as to why that would why that would happen. You mentioned codependency. Just tell us what that is for someone that doesn't know.
1: So codependency is when you are like a codependent towards someone and you feel like you need them in your life. You have to be with them. You become obsessed with them and without them that you're nothing and they make you feel like you need them like that. So when you are without, you have no sense of self. You have no sense of purpose um, and you lose you.
0: So it's a very dangerous and sad place to be in. And if someone's listening and they're you know, they're stuck in a relationship like that, struggling to leave, maybe they're recognizing some of the patterns that you've spoken about, what would you say to them? I think self-awareness is the first thing, being honest of
1: yourself about the situation you're in, and then researching and educating yourself on what is going on, because that's what saved me. I think I needed my weird complex brain needed to understand what was going on in my life like what what was this narcissist doing to me what does narcissism mean what are signs and symptoms is he doing this yes you know and becoming clear on that so I could bring clarity back into my brain after all the torment and then once I had the clarity back and an understanding of what was happening to me then I could break away but when you're in this whole blurred relationship with this person it's hard to see the light and what's actually going on because they're doing this to you particularly if
0: Children are involved. Complicated would that get when you're thinking, you know, maybe you're being financially controlled. I actually can't leave. Yeah, exactly. Or how on earth am I going to co-parent with this person? Yeah, definitely. How do people co-parent with a narcissist? You can't do no contact. So you have to kind
1: of do a grey rock method, which is just being blunt, you know, not giving a reaction, maybe going for a mediator, or getting yourself a lawyer, having firm boundaries in place. I think boundaries are important as well, and keeping it clear what is and what is not. But it, it's always going to be hard when there's a child involved. But I think people need to put their child first in all of it. What's the most the safest thing for the child? What are they going to benefit from? And and you know, keeping the arguing, the toxicity away at arm's length. And even if you need someone to help assist you with the drop-offs or the pickups, ups you know, using a friend or a family member.
0: There's always some ways around it, but it's probably a really hard thing to do. You mentioned that Freedom Programme, and I know a couple of people that have been through that. Just tell us that, because that is one of those just really sort of hidden seat where I didn't know about it. Tell us how someone might access that and what it is. So I remember my ex
1: was spat in my face threw a bottle in my head, right? And I, I was crying. I was outside of like a Sainsbury's. My best friend came to pick me up. She had her son in the car who was around six at the time. So she, we couldn't really talk, but I was just shaking. And she goes, I'm driving you to the Women's Centre in Bedford now. And I went, okay. And I would always be in denial and be like, no, no, no. And she goes, I'm driving you there now. I'm going to drop you off and I'm going to pick you up. And she just dropped me off there. And then I was just stood there and they were lovely. They were amazing. They booked me on the Freedom Program and I listened. And that is part of the educating myself that I was talking about. I had to understand what was happening to me because you don't know you don't realize it at the time did you think it's normal it just light bulbs were going off in my head like well okay the switch is on and I understand now and that addiction became like it's bad for me this person is tormenting me and it's not going to get any better so yeah that's what happened to me the freedom
0: program saved my life it was brilliant and how does someone access it if they're listening or maybe they've got a friend like what an incredible friend you've got wow it depends where you are, but
1: there's local and it's free to do as well. So in Bedfordshire, they have one. So you'd have to Google it. There'd be a local one to you, but loads of places run it. And it's very discreet as well. Like they won't call you, etc. in case, you know, the address is kind of secret as well. So yeah, there's ways of contacting them if online.
0: Okay. That's really, really helpful. That's so helpful for people to know. And you talked about having low self-worth. And how that made you vulnerable, I suppose, to these types of abusers. How have you changed that sense of worth? And what have you uncovered about why it was there in the first place? Oh, gosh, it's very deep. It's a lot of inner child healing.
1: It's a lot of tending to my younger self, to the little girl that, you know, would wake up in the middle of the night. My mom would be rushed to hospital, in and out of hospital, feeling very alone, having quite a shouty household, not having that much attention sometimes and really unpicking that. So a lot of different forms of therapy. Meditation has been a lifesaver for me, meditating and unblocking these wounds, these core wounds and core beliefs that have been ingrained in, in my head since I was younger. Because, you know, as we grow older in school, we get all these beliefs that have put on us, the media, the press, people around us, teachers, caretakers and our job as adults is to undo all of that crap <laughs> and become our true authentic selves underneath all of that. And it can be painful and it's very difficult. That's probably the hardest work you can do on yourself going back to your younger years. And that was where it all started with me. And it's, you know, it's still ongoing. It's always going to be ongoing. Healing doesn't end. And then you've got your shadow work going to parts of yourself that we call it the shadow that you don't like about yourself, whether it's your reactions to things, things that trigger you, finding out why these things are triggering you and unblocking all these parts and it's hard but I think when it came to eating disorders and the way I viewed my body image and how I looked at myself and the men I attracted and the people that I hung around with and the things I would do to myself and it all stemmed down to like beliefs from being young when I was younger and them sticking with me so yeah a lot of work and journaling and exercising and eating better And just being very mindful and being present, I think that's helped.
0: What was the most deep-rooted belief that you uncovered?
1: I think maybe that I'm not worthy of love because my mum left me and my dad left me and that anyone that comes into my life will leave me. My baby died as well. She left me. The men that come into my life don't actually love me. They would use me or beat me. So I'm not worthy of love, of real love because anyone that does come in, they're going to go anyway, so I might as well push them out. Like that was a big thing for me. So, you know, I went from being in, a, in an abusive relationship to then meeting my daughter's dad and being the complete opposite, where I'd be, I'm an independent woman, I don't need your love, and then pushing him away for that reason and being like the complete opposite. So to find that medium of, no, you're safe, you're safe, you're sound, it's fine, you don't need this guard, you don't need this wall, you're good. Because it's like
0: one extreme to the other. Literally, but that is the healing journey, isn't it? Is you pendulum, and then over years, decades, for me, you get to that middle ground, and you realise, okay, this is what's happened for me. Like I'm not on two of those extremes anymore. Yeah. So from that, I'm not worthy of love, and actually, you know, I know you're doing some coaching work now. You know, my work as a coach, I see that in almost universally, every woman I've worked with, when you scratch the surface, gets to this feeling of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. What specifically on that belief have you switched that to now feel that sense of worth and to be able to receive love and to feel good enough?
1: I think through... Deep meditation, rewiring neural pathways in my brain, going back to different situations in my life where I was hurt or I was vulnerable or I was sad, taking myself back to the, you know, different ages in my life, visiting those scenarios and telling myself that I'm loved, hugging my younger self, talking to her, i write her letters, I'll burn the letters, I'll communicate with her, check in with her. It sounds a bit nutty from an outside point of view, but when, do you know what I mean? <laughs> just, just chatting to my 10-year-old self. But when you really access her and tell her she's safe and that everything's fine, you're fine. I think also being that child, I'm playful. My nature is to be fun and happy and playful, and not take things too seriously. When you access your inner child, life is different, and life can get in the way. It becomes so serious. Like I found this month has been so tough because I've gone back into the, that serious mode and grafting and overworking, and then I burn myself out, and then I start going for the wine. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, you know what that wine does to you? You've had that before where you've been a bit of an alcoholic, you know, drugs will get involved in the past. Like, what are you doing? Let's go back, you know, to being mindful, present. And these old tendencies and old behaviors will creep in and I have to choose what is right for me in that moment. What's going to serve me now? I can go and be mindful or I can carry on being nutty if Zaya's dropping food on the floor, the puppy's barking in my face. I've got this to do. I've got to do laundry. Forget it. Fuck all of that shit. Let's just go and do something for you. <laughs> go and have a bath. But, what, you know, but it's hard because maybe HD is like, you've got to do all these tasks. It's so hard. I hear you. You know what I mean? But the right thing is to go and breathe. But we could choose the right thing or we could choose the task thing. And the task thing is just living and functioning like a zombie. I don't want to live like that every day. I want to be happy and have fun. So, if a puppy does shit on the floor, I'll leave it there for 20 minutes now instead so of going, <laughs> you know what I mean? And oh, that sounds a bit like extreme, but I have to purposely do things to make myself realize that that's
0: not important. <laughs> It is so important because these things, like you just described, they stack up, right? So stress stacks, and then you've got to do something to lower the stress, which might be a glass of wine. Then before you know it, three, and then you're hungover, and then you're behind. It's like these micro little choices that we make don't seem important, but they are the difference between, like you say, feeling more joyful and thriving and feeling back in that place. It's so important, those little little micro choices. How has becoming a mother impacted all of this? Because what I found is that, you know, my story is not the same as yours, but I have lots of trauma that I've had to work through and heal. And I found it at times really hard doing that with two young children as well, because it's almost like a double the... Work. It's like you've got to do all the normal stuff of raising and all the normal hormones. And then for for people like us that also have to do all this unlearning, reparenting in a child world, it's like a whole other job. I think she gave me access to
1: find my younger self. Having her made me realize what I needed to do because I didn't want to pass that generational trauma down to her. But it's so hard because you have to be the mom that wakes up at 6 a.m., feed, entertain, try and work, hustle on the side, do the food shop all of these day-to-day tasks, which is what I can let stack up, which is not good for me. But then I have to manage my time wisely now. So I know when she goes down to sleep, what am I going to do? Am I going to scroll on my phone? Or am I going to go do a meditation journal or go and do some knitting? I'm started knitting or doing something creative because I used to love to paint. What's going to bring out my soul what's going to set my soul on fire? But Marlin will tend to go, oh, she's in bed. And I find myself on my phone and I have to freaking purposely be like, what are you doing? This is your time now. But sometimes I feel so exhausted and it is making the best choices for you and managing your time really well. And stop trying to micromanage everything where you have all of this control and just let it flow, let it be, and just go with it. And it's hard to do.
0: Thanks to this week's sponsor, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. AG1 provides support in five really important areas of health, energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal and neural support, and healthy aging. There is so much that I love about my AG1 but I really love how simple it is. It is one scoop, once a day, every day. So it is not another complicated thing I have to add to my mental load. I think it really is one of the simplest ways that I look after myself. So for all us mums, we know how busy we are. If you are looking for a way to take care of yourself that is quick and easy, then you need to try AG1 and you will get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you need to do is go to drinkag1.com motherkind. That's drinkag1.com motherkind to give it a try. The other day I was like tired. I had loads of stuff to do. You know, I knew there was emotional stuff sitting on me that I had to journal out. I knew that, but I just found myself like two hours into an Instagram. But in a way it's like, I have that awareness, and it sounds like you do. I'm doing that to avoid the emotional pain of having to write about what's going on and, you know, what my part is in it and what's coming up for me. And I, I don't want to do that, so I'm just going to scroll my phone for a couple of hours. It's avoidance, but with our
1: work, I find social media, the press media, is very heavy on my soul sometimes, and I find there's a lot of pressure around it. Some days I just want to delete the freaking app and give up and just quit and just go and live on a mountain somewhere, you know, like, <laughs> I'm like, is this really, I don't know. And a lot of people be like, are oh, you so lucky? And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. But you know, the main purpose behind my Instagram is just to help other people with it. But then pressures come through with finances and stuff like that. It's, it's hard. It's so hard to try and do everything. It's, it's really finding the time
0: to do good things for yourself. And that's hard. What do you want your message or purpose to be with? You know, think about social media and your and your platform. I always say what Jim Carrey loves: you know, free people
1: from concern to open up new ways of thinking and, and believing in themselves, like how I've done. And it's it's a hard message to get across because we've got conflicting things of social media. You see crap on there, you see good stuff on there. So you know, you're fighting this kind of cause where. <laughs> There's other things popping up. People are Andrew Tate, <laughs> which I've just done a documentary on with Panorama, which is going to be out soon, which is quite cool. But you know, things like that. And you think is this just ongoing, isn't it? I think sometimes we focus so much on trying to do the journaling, the meditating, the yoga and do everything good that we don't actually live either. How do we just live without having to 10 things we're grateful for. <laughs> you know, like, how do we just live, just be, just do? Yeah, I do know what you mean. That self-care is great, but why don't we just sack that self-care off too and just do nothing, just be? You know what I mean when I say that? It sounds a bit nuts. Without having the pressures of, got to journal, got to meditate, got to exercise, I you know, it makes me feel better. Like, it's like, whoa, it becomes true.
0: I think it depends on, am I in my sort of controlling perfectionist or am I in a place where I'm able to wear life a bit more like a loose jacket as opposed to like a straight coat? And I think when I'm, I've got a journal, I've got to do this, da, 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 then I'm in a way I'm in more of the same limiting place that I was because I'm trying to control it. And I think that if I do this, it's going to get me this. But it is really complicated because also I am someone that needs discipline. I do need discipline and I do need things to contain me because my mind is so wired for sort of fear and worry and to abandon myself. Like I'll abandon myself really quickly. So I have to stay on top of that. But I think you're right. It's so nuanced. It's so true
1: what you just said. How does one determine what living freely and flowing through life is? And I truly believe like when you just release the restrictions and the pressures of work and doing certain things and tasks and micromanaging if you try it for a day or two like I took Zaya to an eagle farm the other day and she was jumping in the mud and I was jumping in the mud and I didn't care about the council tax bill tomorrow or what's gonna be doing this bit of work or, or you know like or thinking of what I have to do each day just leave it and when you just let things go you do become abundant and you manifest things better so, how
0: there, like, it's just such a weird way of thinking. <laughs> My
1: life is just
0: nuts. It is. I wonder if actually what you just said is if that's more of what it's about. It, is. it has to be. Being in more in the moment, more of the time. And I think that's all I can expect from myself. I think to worry is human, and I think to worry, particularly as a parent, of course it's human like you can't it drives me bonkers when people say stop worrying or stop comparing like you can't that is the way that we're wired but I think we can make a choice with what to do with that worry and that obsession and that fear yeah well they say depression is a past
1: anxiety is a future and peace is the present and all we will ever get is happiness in this very moment you can't find it anywhere else but now So why are we waiting? Why are we waiting for it? When I go on holiday, I'll be happy. When I go swimming or to the spa with my girls, I'll be happy. When that bottle of wine cracks open, I'll be happy. You know, you you can change your environment, change the things around you, but you can find happiness now doing whatever you're doing right now. It's up to you. It's so weird because the way we are conditioned to believe that we need all these external things to make us happy, all these ads, all these diet plans... All these holidays, all inclusive, and when we get, you know, like it's I'm no, there's no surprise. We're waiting for happiness, but it's here, it's right
0: now, it's, it's in front of us. You mentioned their diet plans, and tell me about where you're at with your relationship with your body. So, I mean, I grew up in an era of the you know, Kate Moss
1: days, you know, and I can taste happiness Happy like Skinny Fields, that kind of thing. Terrible magazines with like size zero models all the time, and then I was in beauty pageants, and I think that kick started my eating disorders you know binge eating bulimia calorie counting excess exercising and then I think I hit a wall with it after Love Island after I gave birth to Consi, I went the opposite way and was like oh fuck it I don't care anymore and that was really liberating for me I gained weight I was loving it I didn't care I loved the body but I wasn't actually internally healthy inside I was still managing depression grief everything was so raw I was drinking alcohol all the time you know, I was smoking cigarettes. I loved the body, but I wasn't loving myself really inside. And that's where, when I had Zaya, things changed completely. I wanted to change my health and I found a love for exercising. So there's a good balance now. I don't calorie count. I don't diet. I just go for what feels right at the time and there's rules in place. And that's brilliant. But I think people online compare how we look like too much to because i have lost weight people are you know that's not apparently body positive anymore so we we're, we're in a sticky situation where people are just seeing what's external they're not going past external beauty anymore they're ignoring the inside messaging of how my my mind would actually feel by working out and eating better so it has nothing to do with controlling my food or anything but this is a problem we face now there, there's so many different movements going on what's not
0: it's, something unhealthy. <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? Because body positivity is about how you feel in relation to your body. How on earth can anyone make a judgment on what your internal narrative, no one else knows apart from you? Exactly. And
1: someone goes, well, if you're trying to talk about how exercise made you feel, why can you just post a picture of your face? I went, I oh, want a lovely, I'd happily post a picture of my brain and label the areas of my brain that have improved. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, like it's just, but people will fixate on the things that they want to fixate on. And that actually is opening up triggers to their own wounds. I'm reflecting back to them what they don't want to see in themselves. (laughs) And that's the sad part, that's what a lot of trolls are, you know, they're just reflecting their damaged parts of themselves. And it is what it is. It's
0: true, we never judge where we feel secure, ever. Just doesn't happen doesn't happen if you feel secure about something i see this in myself all the time whereas if it's something that i'm insecure about i noticed this when the uh the dancing trend started on instagram oh my god i was judging i was like <laughs> eye rolling i was too i was like, i'm not getting tiktok and i still haven't got tiktok but i was like oh
1: it's cringing me out. i couldn't do that because i don't have
0: that fun part of me to be able to do that i don't know maybe there was a part of me that couldn't That's absolutely what it was for me. I was like, why am I judging? What is this bringing up in me? What am I insecure about? And I realized it was because I have this tendency to want to be serious and heavy. And that lightness of just that confidence of being able to dance in front of a camera, giving no shits and put it online felt really far away. You know, it's growth for me. Definitely. It was nothing to do with, nothing to do with those other women at all. In fact, you know, now they inspire me. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's it's growing and learning through others. That's a big thing.
0: What are you still growing and learning through others when you see them? I really don't know.
1: I'm in a bit of a, I don't know, phase at the minute. I'm actually not, not caring about social media too much at the minute. I'm actually not bothered about posting that much anymore. And it's quite weird. I'm wondering if it's coming to an end of an era for me. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I can't be asked to post what I've eaten or write a quote on there at the minute, and maybe that's okay for the minute. I can't be bothered to record a video on baby loss right now. Like it is literally, and if I don't want to do that right now, I won't. And I find that I used to have so much pressure around it. If I was tired, i have to post this because the engagement's good at 6pm and and I haven't posted anything today. And then you're just like setting yourself up for fail. And it has to come from an authentic place with me. If a video comes into my mind or a topic, then I'm like, yes, and I'm passionate about it and I'm going to post it. And it will automatically do well because I'm passionate about it. But yeah, the past kind of few weeks, I've just been like, eh, I'll post something as it comes up, but I'm not obsessing over it. And I find that the work that I do is isn't like a normal job because you know, you get the insights around it. You look at how many views you're getting. You'll become obsessed with numbers. And it's my ADHD brain does not like that <laughs> at all. You know what I mean? So that's a part of that that I'm letting go of. That's like whatever, whatever will be, will be.
0: It sounds like you're edging into a place of more freedom around that. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's a scary thing. Like my income relies on that, you know. And when
1: I did lose weight... A lot of brands stopped working with me that I was working with when I was bigger, which is funny, isn't it? So I just see some of it as superficial. It depends. And I'll work with some really good causes and some good brands, but whatever is aligning with my soul, whatever will be for me, will be for me. It won't go by me. And I'm a huge believer in that. When you think
0: about your future, what would you love to call in? like, what would you love to do from this point I had this conversation with my friend earlier.
1: I don't know. I love the documentary side of things, but really deep topics. I'm picking certain parts. And I've done the one for BBC, which is out soon. But it's, it's been a good six, seven years since I was off Love Island. And I've had some opportunities that I haven't gone through all the way. And i have always questioned: is that not my calling then? Because these bits of work are going past me. or I'm not booking this like someone else's, but I'm getting some good brand work, but I'm not getting what I really want. Is that not meant to be for me then? I've done a book. Am I going to write another book? got a meeting with a publisher maybe I'll write another book on co-parenting and motherhood but I'm like what do I really want to do I don't know I'm feeling a bit lost at the minute I'm not gonna lie when it comes to work I don't actually know I'm enjoying the live coaching but then that's a lot of time to give as well and my time is precious so there's a fine balance and there's only one of me right so yeah I'm gonna go find that now I'm in the <laughs> We're going to move over, over to Bali. That's where I'm at in a minute. <laughs> I love that space, though. But only it's a bit scary because I'm like, shit, I'm, I'm 31 next month. And I'm like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? What do I really want to do? I don't know. It's a bit weird.
0: Well, someone said to me the three most spiritual words in the universe are I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Because you're opening yourself up. You're open to follow the breadcrumbs right when we've got such a clear and set idea it's like how much do we block then you know those little breadcrumbs
1: oh my god no you're opening my
0: like you're opening parts of
1: my mind today I needed this conversation with you I'm not even kidding I had a meltdown this morning I cried a bit because I actually felt so lost and I kept saying I don't know what am I doing it was this morning though, and I thought I feel really lost and I don't normally feel lost I feel like I'm shedding skin like a snake at the minute for things that are no longer serving me or becoming part of my authentic self. And work has always been a funny one. And to wake up and feel like, I don't know,
0: is good because as you just said, it is freeing space for something that we'll know. (laughs) Of course, which our brains hate more than anything, right? And they hate the uncertainty. But the other thing that I've really noticed is that when I have felt the most lost in my life, has been right before I get massive clarity okay that's good that's making me feel good because there's only so much
1: one can talk about their past so much so with me it's always it's the domestic abuse the baby loss the grief when it's constant in all my interviews and in all my posting now I'm being really honest like this is probably the most rawest podcast I've done I've actually fucking had enough of it, to be honest, Like, because it's bringing up all these wounds. I want to move on with my life and start the next chapter of my life where I still want to help people with my knowledge but not keep talking about my story. And I know it's helped so many people, and if that's why I have to go through it, I understand. But maybe with my knowledge, it can go towards something else. But by talking
0: about the same things, I've really had enough. Of it. That's healing, isn't it? That is healing. It is it's healing, Yeah. <laughs> To me, it's like we go through these horrific things like you have and we take the wisdom and we share that wisdom. I feel like when we go through really hard things, part of our service to others is to take what we can and share it and then we move on. Yes, exactly. But imagine being me, like you become
1: stuck in it a little bit. Yeah. And I'm loving and wanting to help all these women, right? I need to get out of it now. Like in a sense of let's use the knowledge for other things and other bits and bobs, but I can't keep talking about my dead child, my dead mum, like beating back and like like cheese. Like that's where you go. That's going somewhere every time for me. And that's not allowing me to move forward.
0: And I think, Marlene, the thing to remember that it must be like for you is that so many of those conversations will be with unboundary people, with people who aren't understanding how to hold someone's trauma. You know, I listened to a couple of the podcasts that you've done in prep for this today. And I thought, Jesus, like people not understanding how to hold a conversation like this. I know. You've done it really well with me as well, which has
1: now actually allowed me to open up even more to you. Whereas sometimes I'll get asked take me back to Great Ormond Street. And I'm just like, giving the most bluntest answers because I'm like, no, I don't want to. Leave me alone.
0: Yeah, it's true. And I think, you know, that's in general in the podcasting space. I think a lot of that happens. I think there's a lot of re-traumatization that you can hear happening in an interview. And it worries me. It worries me being in the podcast world. So true. And it's interesting you pointed
1: this out, actually. Um, every podcast I've done I've had to repeat the same kind of story almost where I've actually left the podcast thinking, fuck I need therapy like I need to now offload something to someone else because I have just spoken about something that's so heavy and I'm going to go back to doing normal daily things but actually like that isn't a normal thing to do to talk about your whole life in one hour and then be like oh I've got to go cook lunch now
0: <laughs> like you know So it is, yes. But that's part of, you know, what we're talking about is the deeper part of healing, I think, is getting those really solid boundaries in place. I feel like that's that next evolution of taking care of, you know, you talked about in a child, but in a way, you know, the younger version of you having gone through those things is another version of your inner child now that you have to care for. Maybe she doesn't want to come out every day and talk about it. So true. And, you know, I look back at who I was even six
1: months ago. I'm completely different. There's so many versions of ourselves that we're just shedding and de-layering from. It becomes uncomfortable. Like when people go, I love islands. What made you go on there? And I'm like, listen, it was six, seven years ago. I don't even know who I was or the way that I fought back then. Like when I look back at her, I'm like, oh, it's like another person. So our past is our past and it's made me who I am today, but I am shifting and changing every second. Like <laughs> conversation, I'm gonna be like, oh, I don't know, it's brilliant, and I'm gonna run around, <laughs> you know, and be like, Woof. so this is what life is about, it's just expanding and opening and just moving forward with things. And
0: that's where we can get stuck in our trauma. And that's not healthy. And we become a slave to our past exactly glennon doyle i'm sure you follow her she's an unbelievable she says no i don't think do i oh you'd really like her she wrote a book called untamed and she's been in this sort of public space talking about a lot of her trauma and pain and healing and addiction for i think like 15 20 years and she says it is the strangest thing to have to hold watching old previous versions of me online available for everyone to consume she said it's like shadows of me peppered through the world and I'm not that person anymore wow
1: interesting that is completely it it is so strange And you know, then one of these meditations that I do that they say you know I want you to go and pick up parts of yourself that you've left behind in different countries and different places that you've been in I want you to get that back because I'm a bit strange. I feel like, that I'm living a life that's already been lived and my future self knows what's going on. And she's looking at me going, come on, you need to do the work. You'll reach me in a bit, your higher self. And this has probably happened before. And is this really real? Is this time, is energy real? I don't know what's real anymore. (laughs) So you just got to live it. You just got to be it and go with it.
0: That little meditation I always do as well. Like when I sit down at my desk to start my work with mother kind, I always just claw back all the energy that I've just given out that morning already. And I just love that. It's so simple. It's like, I'm just going to take it back. That energy of getting the kids to school, that energy of that, that energy of that just clawing it all back into me. And you can do that on a big scale as well. Like you're talking about previous versions of us and I love it. I love meditations like that. They're so powerful. I always ask the same question at the end and I actually can't wait to hear your answer, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Oh, one gift
1: I'd give to all mothers would be time, a block of time that they could use for themselves without any distractions. Because I had a bath, I think last weekend, the first one in ages. And I I know too well that I should be doing more things for myself. And I just took a breath and I just, breathed and I then meditated and it felt so good to just have quietness in my mind and instilling this calmness because we never seem to find the time we find time for everything else like doing the dishes and making lunch for our kids and or doing the next thing or entertaining them but we never choose the time for us we give it away every single time literally so i would give them all a block of time even if it's an hour just for themselves with no worries of anything <laughs>
0: Be unreal. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You know, I didn't know where this conversation was going to go. and I've just really enjoyed connecting with you. And I've really enjoyed connecting with what I'm seeing as the, the real you. And thank you. It's been an honor. So thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: It's been good. Very thought provoking.
0: <laughs> there is something I have been waiting to tell you. I am really excited to share that Motherkind is the official podcast partner for The Baby Show with Lidl GB 2023. The show is from Friday the 20th to Sunday the 22nd of October at Olympia in London and I will be there on Saturday the 21st at 1.30 recording a live podcast with a very special guest talking about everything motherhood. I will reveal who it is next week so make sure you come back then. The Baby Show with Lidl GB is the UK's largest and best-loved pregnancy, baby, and parenting event, and it has been running since 2002, so they know a thing or two about babies. Tickets can be bought online at thebabyshow.co.uk forward slash Olympia. That's thebabyshow.co.uk forward slash Olympia. And if you pop in the code MOTHERKIND, that's MOTHERKIND, before Thursday the 19th of October, at midnight, you'll get your ticket for only £18 a person. That saves you £8 on the door. So please do get yourself a ticket. Come and see me. I would love to meet you and say hi. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on.